Oh, God, great to be together and great to see you all. It's uh, um, finally church is happening and uh, it's a bit of a culture shock though, isn't it? I'm finding myself, this is the first time I preached to a group of people for a long, long time. So let's hope we manage it together. Now, at the end of tonight as well, uh, we're going to have a and a We'll have a question time. Some of the things that will be raised through the sermon uh, might stir you to be wondering and thinking through some things. So uh, let's make sure we do that as well. If you've got questions, keep them in mind as we go along. But let me pray and we'll dig into the Word. Father, we, we thank you so much for this, um, this privilege it is to gather and we thank you that um, we're able to come back to it again. Uh, we thank you too for the perhaps renewed conviction many of us have had about the value of it, the importance of it. Please let that stay with us. And we pray now as we dig into your word that you might uh, cause it to be a great blessing to us, strengthen us, it through, us through it, please we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are, week by week we do this thing. Week by week we read from a really, really old book, usually two bits of it. We read firstly from a really, 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 really old part of it, called the Old Testament, and then we read from just the really, really, really old bit of it, the New Testament. We do that every week, read a bit, read a bit from a really old book. Then we have someone get up, and spend a chunk of time, a spunk of you, chunk of your time, I mean, you're, we're using up your time to do this, and they explain that really, really old bit of that book. Now, the question is, of course, why do we do it? Why do we keep going through this and persevering this? Uh, because we're into books, like if you weren't here, you'd be into a book club, yeah? No, nah, that's not many of you at all. Uh, is it because you just have a thirst for knowledge? Whenever you watch Netflix, it's always documentaries, is that you? No, I, many of you not. Uh, why are we doing this thing? I want to suggest this, it's because it's a spiritual event. It's a spirit activity. You think about spiritual activities, what is a spiritual activity? What is a religious thing to do? You know, there's an old joke about a plane that was about to crash, you know, the, plane, the, the, the uh, engines had all failed and the thing was going down fast and everyone was crying out, terrified and so on and someone called out, quick, do something religious and then someone else answered with a bit of a grin on their face, yeah, take up a collection because the kind of attachment people had with collecting money and religious things was there and everyone kind of broke the ice and a few people laughed but I think they still crashed. Anyway, what is a religious spiritual thing to do? What, what is truly a spiritual activity? I mean, if you believe there's a spirit realm, uh, a spiritual existence, um, then, then you'd want to get in touch with that spiritual realm. That'd be a spiritual thing to do. You'd want to commune with the spirits and perhaps you'd do that by trying to chant or, or do kind of meditation or repetition to try and empty your mind and get connected to the spiritual realm, doing something spiritual, you see, connecting. The begs a question for us, how do you get in touch with the spiritual realm when you're dealing with the real God? Not figments of our imagination, but the, the real God. How do you get in touch with God who is spirit? Well, come and have a look with me at Hebrews chapter 3. It was there for us. You get there, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, by listening, when God speaks. One of the key verses from this chunk of the Bible, we're still in the book of Hebrews, we've started in the book of Hebrews a couple of weeks back, we're now kind of going to roam our way through this book. Um, verse 7, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, effectively, listen. 
If God speaks, if you hear Him speaking, listen to Him. Listen. Now, wouldn't you do that? If, if God spoke to you, wouldn't you listen? Now, part of the thing is we're all here because we're actually the kind of people who would, by and large. But don't assume that everyone would say yes to that question. Uh, if God was speaking, would you listen? There's lots of people who wouldn't want to listen. I mean, why wouldn't you, though? You know, if you boil this part of the Bible down, uh, this really old piece of writing that was done so many centuries ago, the message of it would be this. Listen. When God speaks, listen. Because your life depends on it. Your eternal life depends on it. Heaven and hell depend on it. This is a powerful bit of writing. You remember it's an ancient sermon, uh, so it's a powerful bit of speaking that's now been transcribed and written down for us. But it has a deeply practical reason to it, to save people and keep people saved for eternity into relationship with God. Now, it's deeply powerful and will have a huge impact, but one of our problems is that the impact is not so great because we, we hear him say things and don't quite share the assumptions that he's bringing. Through this passage, you'll make a number of statements. And what I want to suggest to you is that some of those can kind of fly past us and not have much bite, not much impact, because we don't have the same way of thinking about the stuff that he's talking about. So there's, what I want to suggest to you tonight is if we're going to actually hear properly what this part of the Bible says, we need to spend a bit of time digging into the assumptions that he's carrying along behind the passage. I want to suggest there's six of them. Early in the week I thought there were five and perhaps by the end of tonight there might be seven but I think there's six of them. We're going to go through each of them fairly quickly but the point of this is that there's these kind of deeper thoughts to the author. Um, the better you understand those, when you actually come back to the passage and go through it again, it'll preach to us, it'll sing, it'll have bite and power. So let's do this together and try and uh, wrestle with these assumptions. Let me show you the first one. And you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about as we do this. Let me show you what the first assumption is. It's there in verse 7, and it, it's right on this issue, actually, of listening. Uh, listen, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now, what's the assumption that's there? Well, the first assumption is about where you hear the voice of God. If you hear the voice of God, listen. But he actually has an assumption, which is a surprising assumption for us actually, but he has an assumption that there's one place you can hear the voice of God. See, where do you go to hear the voice of God? This spiritual activity of listening to God. Where, where, where do you go? Where do you hear him really speak to you? Where do you hear him really speak into your heart, personally? So he's actually addressing you. Where do you go to hear that? Well, look carefully at verse 7. It gives you the answer. So, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, let's take this bit by bit. Verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says. That's what it starts with. And notice the word says. <laughs> Just really pay some careful attention to that word. And let, let me offer, it's got a particular tense that's important. Now, do you remember tenses? Did you learn English at school? I don't know, all those years ago, but... Tenses, you can have a verb, which is a doing word, 
and it can be in the past tense or the future tense or the present tense. Do you remember that kind of stuff? So speak. Speak can be past tense, spoken, he has spoken, he spoke, uh, or future tense, he will speak, he's going to speak, or present tense, he speak, he speaks. Now, you can actually have a little bit more of a kind of a present tense, you can have a present, do you remember this stuff? Is this ringing any bells? You can have a present continuous sense, which means you are speaking, ongoingly speaking, you see, present and continuing, you speak. Now, here it is, that word says, in verse 7, in the original language, is the present continuous tense. So, what it's saying is that the Holy Spirit hasn't just spoken, isn't going to one day speak, but is speaking in the present and ongoingly speaking in the present. Now, that's important to answer, to to recognise. It's a statement about the Holy Spirit speaking now, in the present, today, living, active, right? But notice this, the Holy Spirit is speaking and see what He says next? Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. What He does next is He quotes an ancient psalm, Psalm 95. Now, most Bibles will have that kind of indented in. If you've got your Bible there, you're about to see it. All that chunk down to verse 11 is quoting from Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95, according to chapter 4, uh, verse 7, was written by David, King David, about a thousand years earlier. But here's the astonishing thing, the surprising thing. Notice with great care what he's doing here. He is saying that really, really, really old bit of writing written by David is actually the Holy Spirit speaking now, in your presence. Now, is that not surprising? You know, I I think if I were to ask people, most people, how do you know if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? Most people would expect a certain experience to happen. They'd expect tingles up and down the spine. Do you know, if you've ever had the experience of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you would imagine it would be awesome. It would leave you with certain warm feelings or, or terrifying feelings or some tingles or something. But notice what he says, verse 7, that when you read Psalm 95, that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking now speaking in your present. You know, if I, if, if I could promise you that next week when you come to church, God, the God of the universe, by the Holy Spirit, would speak to us audibly so that the doorposts shook and you heard the voice of God, you'd want to make sure you were here, weren't you? I mean, you're, you're here today and of course you'll want to be back next week with everyone, but you'd want to make sure you didn't miss that because you'd get to hear God speak. You'd want to make sure your friends came. Well, let me tell you what this part of the Bible is saying. Every time someone stands up and reads Psalm 95, that's the Holy Spirit of God present, addressing each of us personally. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. And in fact, what the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, is that every bit of the Bible, when it's read, is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us. We don't need to pray for the Spirit to come into our church. Whenever we read the Bible, it's the Holy, the Holy Spirit is with us, speaking to you personally. What an astonishing truth. There's the first assumption, you see. 
that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking now in our presence through the Word of Scripture, that really, really old book. Second assumption. The second assumption that runs through this part of the Bible is that there's a danger that these people are in, the danger that he's addressing in his sermon and by extension us as well, and that danger is that they're in danger of losing their relationship with Jesus. The, the weight of the whole passage, now we'll come back to this next week, but the weight of the whole passage ex- assumes the experience of a very much more ancient people to them, back in the very Old Testament past, um, uh, back in the time of Moses, a group of people who were saved out of Egypt, out of slavery by God through Moses, brought to Mount Sinai to be established as His people, given the law of Moses, and then the plan was God to take them into the Promised Land, would they live with Him and have great... But on the way... They gave up. They gave up on God. They fell away. And what this writer is saying, verse 7, today, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as you, as they did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why, verse 11, I declared on my oath, they shall never enter my rest don't be like them. You see, the assumption here that the author has is that this could be you, like it was them, it could be you, sitting here tonight. It is a great and serious issue. Brothers and sisters, to have had a profession of faith as a child is a wonderful thing, but it is of no use to if you do not continue with your profession of faith. If you've had a relationship with Jesus in the years past, that is of no use to you if you don't continue on with that profession of faith. You see, this, I think the most important verse in this chapter is verse 14. Have a look at it. We have come to share in Christ if, underline that word if, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. He says it also in verse 6, Paul the Apostle talks about it in Colossians chapter 1 verse 22, you get the same language of if, we are saved by the work and reconciled by the work of Christ, if we continue in our faith, not moved from the gospel. The point is this, it's not just starting the Christian faith that matters, of course you need to start the Christian faith, what matters is that you finish it, you finish your days firm in your faith. There's the second assumption, that this group of people are in danger like a very ancient group of people fell, they're in danger of the same thing and by extension he's saying it to us. Let me give you the third assumption. To lose Jesus is to lose everything. The assumption here, and it's again very surprising, is that there is no true spiritual life, no saving spiritual life outside of relationship with Jesus. Now that's his assumption, I'll show you what it's there, but let me just offer, for us that's a great surprise because in our day and age we do operate with the idea that whatever religious faith you have, as long as you're sincere in it, it will get you to God. You know, you might not be a Christian, but Christian's a great way to do it, but you might be a Muslim, you might be a Jew, you might be a a Buddhist and as long as you're sincere, we imagine everyone will get to God. That's not what this part of the Bible says. The original hearers 
thought something like that as well, or the best kind of version of it actually, because they were Jews. They were Jews uh, who had followed the Mosaic religion from the Old Testament given by God and they'd become Christians, they'd come to follow Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But being a Christian back in that day was really, it was hard, they were being persecuted, it was safer to go back to being a Jew. And they thought to themselves, what's the big deal if I give up on being a Christian and go back to Judaism? What's the big deal? Because I'll still get to God, it's the same God, God's the one who gave this religion as well, so it'll be okay. And this writer says, no. If you lose Jesus, you've lost everything. That's the point of the first six verses. He talks about Moses being faithful in God's house. He was a servant in God's house. Yes, he was given by God, working in God's house. But he goes on to say that Jesus owns the house. Jesus is the son over God's house. And so if you, a Jew, follow the servant of God's house and then come to actually follow the owner of God's house and find that's too hard and go back to the servant, you've not just gone back to another genuine religion you've shown that you've never understood what Moses was about you've given up on the owner of the house to go back to the servant of the house who was pointing to Jesus himself so you've not only lost Jesus you've not understood Moses you've got nothing you are lost verse 19 they were not able to enter because of their unbelief now that's the case for the best of non-christian religions of Jewish faith it is not a way any longer to connect you to God Jesus is the only hope as the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Brothers and sisters, if that's true of Judaism, it is even more so the case for man-made religions. They are no way to God. Jesus himself says that I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you lose Jesus, you have lost everything. That's the third assumption. Let me give you the fourth. The fourth is the deceptiveness of sin. The deceptiveness of sin. Now, this is all going to come together in a moment, so hold these bits. The deceptiveness of sin. Do you see it there in verse 13? Let me read it to you. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is bad. You come to church any time at all, you'll find out that sin is bad. Sin is rebelling against God, it's disobeying God, it's disregarding God, it betrays Him, it's bad. But there's a sense in which sin is a thing, it affects us and it deceives us. You know, the great challenge with deception is that the very nature of deception is that you don't know it's happening because it's deceiving. You see, De deception in by its very essence is, is that you are deceived into not knowing you're being deceived. That's how it works, you see. Deception is deceitful. <laughs> Sin is deceptive. It misleads us, it tricks us, and it hides the truth from us. And sin does this not as something outside of us, but as something that's part of our very nature itself. It's in us, it's our sin that does this. There is a malevolent, powerful force outside of us that's deceptive as well, that plays on our inner sinful nature that's deceptive. 
And this means that sin and its deceptiveness is at the very heart of who we are, which taps into another theme in the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, which says, The heart is deceptive above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Our heart, our very inner being is deceitful. Now, this is an assumption that this author runs with. That's why verse 13 talks about being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He just assumes that you know that sin's deceitful. And that's a, but it's a surprising assumption in our day and age. Culturally today, and forgive the repetition, I've banged on this before and before that, and I'll bang on it in the future again. Um, but don't believe Hollywood. Don't believe celebrities and the way they think about life. Their message is, believe your heart, they say. It's the one thing they say you can trust. I mean, you can't trust authorities, society, governments. You can't trust scientists, anybody, but you can trust your heart, so they tell us. Just follow your heart, they say. God's word says exactly the opposite. The heart is the centre of deception. Sin, in my sin nature is itself deceptive. Know this about yourself. You know, there's a number of times the New Testament talks about deception and our nature as being deceptive. You can get it in Galatians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, again and again. Let me show you to it from one particular verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me read this to you. Paul the Apostle. Don't be deceived, he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. You will not get into the kingdom of God, says Paul, if you are an idolater, sexually immoral, Men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor you will not get into the kingdom of God. Now he starts that whole piece with these words, don't be deceived. Why does he start there? Because the sin in us, the heart that we have, will deceive us on exactly these things. It will be about these things that our heart will try and persuade us that it's not the case. And Paul says, don't be deceived. Because our heart will say, those things aren't a big deal. It, it doesn't matter who you love. Love is love. D don't let anyone judge you for the kind of love that you love. Love is love. And so as we go along in this culture, we're caught up in a way of thinking that seems how primitive to think that certain people idolaters and adulterers and sexually immoral and greedy people how weird to think that's so primitive don't be deceived the very nature of sin is to be deceptive you see we want sin to be okay and so of course we'll shape things so that it will be okay and you can be sure there'll be a willing crowd of supporters who will cheer you on. You know, I, um, 
you'll write on Facebook or, or Instagram or, you know, I really gave that person a peace of mind, I just told them exactly what I thought of them and you'll get a whole bunch of people jump on and say, you go, that's awesome. They obviously deserved it. Put up a picture of this person you abused and everyone goes, I, yeah, that looks like a person who deserves to be abused. You'll get a whole cheer squad. But that doesn't make it right. People just want to support you and be agreeable. You know, you want to sleep with the girl. You know you're not married. And you know church has some kind of thing about that. But that's so primitive. God is God, the God of love. My God is a God of love. And he will surely understand that I really love this person. And it'll be okay. Don't be deceived. Sin is deceptive. Do you know, every hot-button issue that our culture is about, male, female, sexuality, gender, all of these things, we want it to be the way our society says it is because it seems so much more permissible and so much more loving and acceptable. Don't be deceived. You see, the assumption, this fourth assumption, is that there's a power within us that deceives us, that tells us we are on the right path spiritually, that our way of seeing the world, that our culture's way of seeing is surely enlightened, is come to a greater sense of things than the past. Don't be deceived. Fifth assumption, and second last, we're starting to pull it together. The deceptiveness of sin means that people will grow hard towards the one word that we need to listen to. Let me say it again. The fifth assumption is that the deceptiveness of sin means that we'll grow hardened to the very word we need to listen to. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Let me offer this. The battle for the things of Christ, the very place where that battle plays out, is in your heart. That's where the whole battle is occurring, in your heart. How you are towards God and His Word is everything. You know, we can't see God, God is spirit. He's not physically present amongst us, we can't see God. Uh, We can't face up to Him and sort out our misunderstandings and and say, oh, you're actually like... We can't see God, He's spirit. But He is present amongst us in a concrete, tangible, physical form And his presence amongst us in that concrete way is here, in these words. Now, I'm not saying the written ink on the page is God, I'm not saying anything foolish like that, but I am saying that these words, verse 7 is saying that these words are the Holy Spirit speaking. These words are the Spirit of God speaking to us. These These words therefore mean the Spirit of God, God by His Spirit is among us in these words, by these words. These are His voice and so His true, infallible, factual voice, the voice that's truly His voice, is this word. And what you do with this word tells us everything about what you think of the God that you can't see. 
Let me give you an illustration. This is such an important point, I want to illustrate it. It's not a great illustration, but I hope that helps us. Just imagine you're out partying with your mates and you're a married man. Let's just assume that the extraordinary miracles occurred and you're married. And um, you're out partying with your mates and uh, you're, doing, you're doing stuff you know your wife wouldn't be happy with you doing, right? If she was there, you, but she's not there and so you're going crazy. And then uh, one of your mates picks up your phone and, s- and notices it's ringing, grabs it and takes it to you and says, it's, wi- it's your wife, she's calling, she's on the phone. Let me give it. Now, what you do next is desperately important. If you say, I don't want to talk to her now, what you do with her voice on the phone shows the real you towards her. If you dismiss her voice and say, I don't want to talk, I want to keep doing what I want. If she were here, I wouldn't, but she's not here and I don't want to actually speak to her because it'll actually intrude. What you do there says everything about what you think of your wife. What you do with her voice when she speaks to you. Do you see the point I'm making? We can't see God, but we have the Holy Spirit voice written here. And what you do with that tells us about what you think of God. Today, right now, if you hear him speak, don't harden your hearts. And what I'm saying to you is, what the scriptures are saying to us, verse 7, is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us now. He is among us speaking to us. You know, some people complain about uh, certain kinds of churches as being Bible churches. You know, there's, there's spirit churches and there's Bible churches, they say. And they even go so far as to suggest that some churches have a trinity. You know, they have the trinity of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And other churches, they say, they have the trinity of Father, Son and Holy Scripture. You know, they kind of come with this line of, that's the church that doesn't have the Spirit present, they just have the Bible. Don't buy into that. Don't buy into it. If the Scriptures are the very living voice of the Holy Spirit, if, if this Word is inspired by the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit speaking now, then to honour this Word is to honour the Spirit of God. It's to recognise the Spirit is amongst us and at work. You cannot separate the Word of God, the Scriptures, from the Spirit of God as the speaker of those Scriptures. You know, if you drift from God, it doesn't play out as a simple dismissal of God, it happens by slow deception. I want what I want in my sin and so I rationalise that surely it's okay to be sleeping with my girlfriend or whatever it is or getting drunk on the weekends or getting caught up in greed or uh, pursuing same-sex attractions in physicals, you know, I want what I want. And so what happens in that context is because I want what I want, what I do is I stop reading the Bible as much. Because I know if I go back to the Bible, it'll, it'll say awkward things and I don't want that to happen, so I just don't read my Bible as much. Or, I want what I want, I want to live the way I want to live, and so I reinterpret the Bible to fit it in with the way I want it to be. And I find a whole crowd of people who support me in that thinking. Or, I come to the Bible with conditions. I come to the Bible with a whole set of uh, things that it must say to be acceptable and, wow, wonder of wonders, I find it saying what I want it to say. Now, this principle is so important, I want to illustrate it as well. Come with me to... Now, 
this is tricky, I'm going to try and illustrate it with a difficult idea, and I don't want us to get caught up on that idea, but I'll just illustrate. Come with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 3. I'm hoping this won't distract it, but will give us the sense of the illustration. Listen to what Peter says, your beauty, and he's talking to women here, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Now what does that mean? What is that saying? Is it saying literally that women ought never use gold jewellery? Quick, have a look around. Who's got it? gold ring who's got a gold ring who's got a gold who's got a gold anything a silver's okay <laughs> that's what it's saying isn't it and as long as your hairstyle's not elaborate you know it's just a wavy blow thing that you open the window and it looks awesome <laughs> then it's okay you see but you got you, you go what is he actually what is peter saying is peter literally saying that you should never use gold jewelry now here's the thing here's the thing um there are some Christians who, who have kind of drawn that conclusion and said, yes, we ought not wear gold jewellery, right? Now, I don't think that's right, but you know what matters? What matters is, with this particular issue is not so much where you land on gold jewellery, because the point really is verse 4, but people will differ. The point isn't so much where you land on the jewellery, the point is how you come to the verse, how you come to the Word of God. If you come to the Word of God as someone who's got a whole drawer full of jewellery that's gold <laughs> and you you're a hairdresser and you love elaborate stuff and you just, you've got a wedding coming up and you want to go to town on your hair, if, if you're that person and you come to the Bible with that background, you go, and you come to the Bible saying, it certainly can't mean literally not to use gold jewellery. I haven't read it yet, but I know it can't mean that. If you come like that, you're already drifting. Your heart is already hardening. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you come to other hard parts of the Bible and you come, you know, about men and women and the way they relate together and you come and say, there's no way I'm going to accept the Bible says whatever. You know, veils, you know, I just know whatever the Bible says, it won't mean that I have to wear a veil when I come to church. If you come to the Bible like that, your heart is already hard. You're already setting conditions. Now, why is that a problem to be like that? Because this word is the Holy Spirit speaking. It is the Spirit of God addressing us. The living God, the Holy God, your Creator. And if He tells you not to wear gold, don't do it. If He tells you to wear a veil, do it. If you, you, the key way to come to the Bible is with an, a readiness that says, if it tells me to wear a veil, if that's what it really means, after I've wrestled with the text honestly, I'll wear a veil. If you don't come with that attitude, you're already hardening your heart to the Word of God. Because you're not actually listening to it, you're wanting it to fit into what... You, do you hear what I'm saying? This is desperately important and critical. The key is a humble heart, a soft heart, not a hard heart, a soft heart, that comes to the Scriptures saying... Wherever the Bible takes me, whatever I find it to be truly saying, I will receive as the Holy Spirit of God addressing me today and I'll obey. 
I'll submit, even though it makes me hated by my friends, laughed at by my friends, out of step with the culture I'm in. Last surprise, last assumptions, there in verse 12 and 13. The last assumption is that this Christian faith is a, is a group thing. You look at verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you. Notice he doesn't say, see to it that each of you don't. He says, see to it that no one has. Verse 13, encourage one another. The assumption this writer operates with is that being a Christian means being part of a community of people where you care for each other in the things of Christ. You take heed to each other that no one's becoming hardened. You, you actively seek to encourage one another. Being a Christian is not your private business. Being a Christian is not just you and God. Church is not just about coming into church, doing the religious thing and leaving. Though in our current context, it's understandable when some of that happens and if you're online, it's understandable for some people it's hard to come back. Yes, yes, yes. But as we move forward, we are moving forward to be a group together. God's purpose is that we'd be together and know each other and be known by others. Get along to the weekend away. Invest in this community as your community so that you are known by others and you learn to know others and you can do the one another ministries. There's six assumptions. Let's now preach it. Let's let this passage sing. Because this book is alive. In a supernatural, miraculous way, this is the Spirit of God amongst us tonight, speaking to us tonight. And the sermon is there in verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of us have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Because it's possible for any of you to turn away through the deceitfulness of sin that will progressively harden your heart to the things of Christ. And if you fall away from Christ, you've got nothing. You are lost eternally. This is heaven and hell. Don't assume it could never be you. Nothing matters like this, that you stay with Christ. We have come to share in Jesus, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. It doesn't matter how you start, it matters how you end. Make sure you finish. Everything is at stake in this. Keep close to the Word of God, be soft to the Word of God. Learn to cultivate a sense that wherever the Scriptures take me, I'll go. I'm going to let it change me, not me shape and change it. Fight against that inner deceit and hardness that comes amongst all of us. Encourage one another to fight for that. Practice the discipline of coming to the Bible soft. And preach to yourself regularly that whatever it says is God speaking to me. I will bow the knee to Him and do it today and every day. Let me apply this to us more particularly. And I'm going to apply it to different of us. Let's move through this fairly quickly. If you're here tonight, if you're online tonight and you're not a follower of Christ... 
All of this applies to you in the sense that there's no hope for you except in Jesus. Come to Him, put your faith in Him as your Lord and Saviour. If you're here tonight and you are, you are sure that none of this is a danger you need to worry about, if you're supremely confident that I would never drift, I would never fall away, if it never exercises your mind the concern that you might drift, repent, wake up, beware, hear the word of God, that we are only His if we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Hear the Word of God that people in the past have been brought to God and have fallen away and been lost. We are all vulnerable. Hear this Word of God. Snap out of Hollywood thinking that sees your heart as somehow an infallible guide to life. Beware the danger that's in you Repent of your complacency, your presumption. Repent. If you're drifting and you know it, if you're here listening and you go, you're saying, you realise, yeah, I'm in that place. I'm starting to compromise. I'm starting to dabble with sin and rationalise it, justify it. And I'm beginning to think, the church really is just caught up in old stuff and I need to be progressive and if you're in that place, if you're beginning to drift and you know it, come back, come back. Realise the warning signs that I'm actually not so, I don't, I'm not so keen to get into the Bible anymore. I'm reinterpreting it, I'm reshaping it, I'm, see the warning signs and come back. If you're here tonight you're not drifting and you're terrified that you might, you live in constant anxiety that you might fall away, if that's you, take each day a day at a time. Notice the word today, today if you hear His voice. Encourage one another as long as it's called today. Notice the word today. You don't need to worry about 10 years time, you just need to pay attention to today. You know, when I was um, newly converted, I'm in early 20s, I was, um, uh, you know, converted out of a kind of, the, you know, the non-Christian world, classic thing, young man, bunch of friends, not at all interested in the Christian faith, living a different lifestyle, converted out of that and trying, trying to break free from patterns and lifestyle and live a different way that honours God and trying to get into a church that I didn't love a lot, I didn't love the people there much, I didn't find them great fun, I kind of I thought they were daggy, which was a dreadful thing to do and is my sin, it was just a foolish stupidity, but I was, I was much more, and finding it hard here, I was really struggling, I wondered how I was going to survive as a Christian. And I was sitting with an older lady, an older Christian woman, let me tell you this, older Christian women are awesome, if they're mature, actually, you can be an older Christian woman and not be mature, but older Christian women, find the mature ones, they're awesome to hang around with, and men, but, but, but she, she was so helpful to me, somehow or other we got into this conversation and she said to me, you know, because I was saying, I'm not sure I can make it, I don't know if I can do this, and she said, just worry about today, today, if you hear His voice. Now, I would add, I 
you know, worry about today and tomorrow. That's it. Don't worry about the day after that. Worry about today and be concerned to make sure you wake up tomorrow soft to the Word of God, soft to the Holy Spirit addressing you in the Scriptures. And if you do that every day, I have done that every day, and here I am, 35, 40 years later, still soft to the Word of God. I've woken up every day, not worrying about 35 years' time, worrying about today and tomorrow, just make sure I'm soft to the Word of God today. You can do that under God. And if you do that under God, that is Him keeping you. And He will finish the work and bring you to the end as you continue soft to His Word. Brothers and sisters, nothing matters like this. Be aware of the deceitfulness of sin. What has happened in the past is a warning for us that could happen to us. Be careful if you think you stand firm, invincible, lest you fall, says the Apostle Paul. But take it day by day. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Determine tonight to focus today and tomorrow on being soft to the Word of God. Come back. Let me pray. Join me in prayer. Father, please soften our hearts. Please do that work by your Holy Spirit that you promised to do for those that are yours. Soften our hearts that we might daily listen to you speaking in the Scriptures. Forgive us for drifting, for taking for granted. Forgive us for coming to your word with conditions. Help us see how serious these things are and please change our hearts. Grow in us a passion and a determination and a drive to listen to you. To take heed of our spiritual walk with you. Help us please to stand firm. And help us, please, to take heed to others. Please let this, this be a church where we love one another. We look wisely towards the needs of others. Amen. Let's sing.